Thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. A co-laborer, is that a collaborator? I'm not sure. What a day of surprises. I came into the building this morning and I thought it was the angels were singing, but Jenny and Steve were here and they're supposed to be, supposed to be, oh sorry, I ran, and the other surprise is that I've forgotten to release the children. Well, it's not really a surprise, is it? I always forget. So there is some children's ministry through in the war room uh, to please uh, sign your children in and collect them afterwards. So it's great to have Steve and Jenny here on a bonus day. And hasn't God been doing something fundamental already? This is my day. This is my time. This is my breakthrough. I'm free from the sin that easily besets me, etc. It's very much on God's agenda this morning, isn't it? Transformation. Which is quite reassuring because I had my preach all lined up Thursday, Friday this week, and God said, actually, let's park that because there's something else I want you to share. Don't get too excited. Uh, right? Because uh, there's just a little message that the Lord had just dropped into my heart. It'd been there for a while, but he said, no, that's, that's going to be right for today. I'm, I'm, you know, if you don't like it, you, you know who to blame. It's not me now, I've said that. Um, and so you'll get this week's preach next week. But you're just going to have a little thought today about the transforming power of an encounter with Jesus. Because I'm going to introduce you to this person, for the benefit of those listening on the, on the podcast. Me saying that is of no help whatsoever. And we have a picture on the screen of, what would you call that? Typical medieval picture of a saint. Hasn't quite got the big corona around his head, but... Uh, any votes as to who that is? We've gone with Judas, Paul, and Peter. I'm not going to tell you if you're right or wrong, but it is one of the disciples, stroke apostles, therefore that rules out Judas. Or does it? We'll have to wait and see. Have you brought your Bibles with you? What are the three reasons not to bring a Bible to church? You remember those? One, you've memorized it. Two, you gave it away to somebody on the way to church and the shops aren't open. Or three, you go to a church where they don't preach out of it. See, a little sting in the tail there. But you need it today. Because we're going to look up a few verses. Well, you don't have to. They're going to be on the screen because we know we're lazy. Um, And I'm going to share you initially these five passages. And just to make it interesting, I've put the references vertically for reasons that will become obvious very shortly. Because we're going to discover who this guy is through these passages here. So if your eyesight is not that good, it starts off with Matthew 10, 2 to 4. Matthew 10, 2 to 4 is one of these lists. Now the names of the 12 apostles are these. First, the first Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew his brother, and James the son of Zebedee, and John his brother. Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector, James, the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus, Simon, the zealot, and Judas Iscariot, the one who betrayed him. I love lists in Scripture. There's such a, a, you know, a power in them. I want to share something about you know, the, the dates of birth, the dates of giving birth, and the dates of death from Genesis. It's fan- there's a tremendous truth. 
when you go through all that. I'll share that another time. Um, Mark, it'll come as no surprise, the passage in Mark is the same passage. And he appointed the 12, so we've got them there. Simon, who we called Peter, James, son of Zebedee, John, yada, da, da, da. Luke, these are the three Gospels that are pretty much similar in the content. So, yes, and the day came, he called his disciples to him and chose 12 of them. And he named them the apostles, Simon, who he called Peter, and Andrew, and James, and John, etc., etc. Now, in John, there isn't the same list. That list does not exist in John. You get it kind of in, in Acts. It's the same. It's now 11 people now because Judas Iscariot is no longer around at the beginning of Acts. Uh, so, so here we are, Peter and John and James and Andrew and Philip and Thomas and Bartholomew. So that's Acts 1.13. But you do get a kind of list in John post-resurrection. It's not 12, it's not 11, it's actually seven people you have in John 21, 1-2. And this is a list of those that saw uh, Jesus at that particular time on the Sea of Tiberias, and he manifests himself in this way, Simon, Peter, Thomas, called Didymus, etc. So let's, let's just cross-reference these. Can you see? So we've got Simon who's called Peter, Simon, Simon, Peter, and Simon, Peter. We're okay with that guy. That's consistent. Uh, and then we've got Andrew, his brother, and Andrew, and Andrew, and Andrew. Andrew wasn't on the bottom. One. It's actually on, on the very bottom. It says the sons of Zebedee and two others of his disciples were together. So it might have been Andrew. Two of his disciples. Uh, then who we got? I've got James and John, the sons of Zebedee, James and John, James and John, James and John, and the sons of Zebedee. So they were definitely there on the last one. Then we've got Philip, 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 not listed in on the on the final passage, but it could have been there. Uh, Bartholomew, 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 likewise. Thomas and Matthew, Matthew and Thomas, Matthew and Thomas, Thomas, Matthew, and Thomas called Didymus. So we'll kind of assume that's the same person. But we need a bit of confirmation there, because why is he calling him Didymus? Uh, James and Alphaeus and Simon the Zealot. James and Alphaeus Simon the Zealot. James and Alphaeus Simon called the Zealot. James and Alphaeus Simon the Zealot. And then they're not named in the John passage. Uh, then we have a little bit of a problem. Thaddeus, Thaddeus in Mark and, and Matthew. James, the son of James. James, the son of James in Luke and Acts. Now, it is accepted that is the same person, that James and Thaddeus is the same thing. And that is not the subject of my talk today, but we're confident that they are the same person, just named differently there. But who's this guy? Can you see on the John passage, we have a Nathaniel of Cana who snuck in at the back door. There's no Nathaniel listed in Matthew, Mark, Luke, or Acts. The seven being a subset of the twelve, or eleven as it was at the time. Who's Nathaniel? So let's look at that passage in a bit more detail. Who is? This is the mystery of the day. Dun, dun, dun. Who is Nathaniel of Cana? So the passage in John 21 1 to 3. After these things, Jesus manifested himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias. And he manifested himself in this way. Simon Peter and Thomas called Didymus and Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee and the sons of Zebedee and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I'm, I'm going fishing. And they said to him, I will come with you. And they went out and got in the boat, and that night they caught nothing. And we know the story, don't we? Jesus appeared and said, put your nets on the other side, and they had a, had a great uh, harvest? No, a great catch. Great catch. 
But that sentence begins with, after these things, Jesus manifested himself again to the disciples. So this is kind of implying quite strongly that these are the disciples. He manifested again. So let's go back a chapter. John 20, at the end of that chapter, and this is again when Jesus is revealing himself to these people. But Thomas, one of the twelve, called Didymus. So we're confident now. Thomas Didymus is Thomas. He is one of the twelve. We weren't getting confused with him. Was not with them. And when Jesus came, so so the other disciples were saying to him, we have seen the Lord. And again, we know the story about how doubting Thomas as he's forever been called. Poor chap. Um, uh, then sort of had his encounter with God. So in 21, it's taught, saying after these things, Jesus re- revealed himself to the disciples. And if we go back, he revealed himself to the disciples. It's the same group of people. So Nathaniel is one of the disciples. And yet he doesn't appear in Matthew, Mark, or Luke. Oh dear. So who is? And I can exclusively reveal that Nathaniel of Cana is Bartholomew. I, I appreciate some of you knew that already. Bartholomew, now you're familiar, I hope, with some of the Hebraic name structure. Bar means son of. Bar Abbas. Barabbas, yeah, etc. So Bartholomew was his surname. So he was Nathaniel Bartholomew. Oh, phew! I can finish now. That's good. Now I've introduced you to that. <laughs> okay. So let's have a little look at this guy, Nathaniel Bartholomew. That's an anglicization of what he's actually called. So this is the passage I really want you to look at, John chapter 1. So this is the first time we meet this guy, called Nathaniel in John. We don't have this story in Matthew, Mark, or Luke. So this is the call of Nathaniel. Now, Nathaniel Bartholomew is not one of those disciples that we know a lot about, is he? Plenty of preachers about loudmouth Peter and, you know, Jesus is a disciple whom he loved, John and even one or two of the others. But we don't often hear a lot about this guy. And the Lord said to me a little while ago, this is an important person to understand. And aligning yourself, or identifying, should I say, with Nathaniel, and realizing what God did in his life will be transformational for some people. So, pay attention. Let's read this passage. The next day, he, that's Jesus, purposed to go into Galilee. And he found Philip. And Jesus said to him, follow me. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, of the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We've found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming to him and said of him, behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, how do you know me? 
And Jesus answered and said to him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Jesus answered and said to him, Because I said to you that I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see the heavens opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Okay? You've probably read that many times. You're probably aware of, of that encounter. But let's just unpack it a little bit, shall we? Uh, notice, by the way, just confirmation here that uh, it's Philip that called Nathaniel. But back in those passages, Philip and Bartholomew were always listed together. So it kind of gives us a bit of reassurance that it's the same person. So it starts off, Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Now from that, we can understand that Philip and Nathanael were not like Peter and James, the fishermen. These were educated people. They knew their Tanakh. Are you impressed? I was paying attention when Jeff shared this before. His Hebrew scriptures. He knew it. Why would the conversation be about him that has been prophesied, the one that we've been waiting for, had it not actually been important to them? These were educated people. These are not the brute strength of the, of the, of the Peter and the other, the fishermen. Though they were from the same town, the same area. Philip and Nathaniel were clearly expectant of the coming of the Messiah. Philip encounters Jesus. He realizes that this is the Messiah. What does he do? I know who, I know who needs to hear this. My mate Nathaniel needs to know this. I, I've encountered it for myself, but I know somebody who's actually been waiting. Philip's reaction tells us Nathaniel Bartholomew was expectant of Christ the Messiah's coming. We also recognize that Bar, meaning son, and Ptolemy comes from Telem, which means furrow. Thus, Bar Ptolemy meant son of furrows, which would have meant rich in land. So not only is this somebody who knows his Tanakh, who knows his scriptures, he's actually got a bit of money, got a bit of status. He's probably referred to as Bartholomew, i.e., oh yeah, and the rich one, and the landowner. He was named by his surname to identify the sort of person. There was Peter and James and John, oh yeah, and the landowner. Can you see that? This is quite a different person to the social grouping that was gathering around Jesus. He, was, he knew his scriptures. He knew what he was waiting for. But actually, he probably, and there's a fair bit of inference in what I'm sharing this morning, so you can make your own conclusions here. But I see he was probably okay in life. He was middle class. Let's put it that way. He was okay. We don't know for sure, but that's kind of what we, we can infer from it. So, Philip's reaction tells us a little bit about the character of the man, of who he was. 
Now, Nathaniel's reaction says, can any good thing come out of Nazareth? It's a great one-liner, isn't it? Comedians all over the, the world, you know, the only good thing to come out of, you know, is the A38, whatever. You know, it's, you know that, that's a standard line, you know? And he gets credit. We should all credit Nathaniel, shouldn't they, those comedians, when they share that, that uh, insult to a certain town. Also, Nazareth was a byword. It was, it was the place that people would describe very negatively. To call someone a Nazarene was an insult. I won't use modern-day comparisons. You can make your own up. But, oh, yeah, he's a Nazarene, even though he isn't from Nazareth. would be an insult anyway. So can any good thing come out of Nazareth? So we understand he's skeptical and a bit of a comedian. He also carried some of the prejudices of the day. Can I describe him as a bloke? Can I describe him as your normal salt of the earth, call a spade a spade, bloke? If John Cooper wasn't here, I'd say he's a Yorkshireman. I'll say it anyway. He's not going to suffer fools gladly. I googled cloth cap and whip it and came up with this picture. It's quite good, actually, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> I googled Yorkshireman. It didn't, you know, that's a famous Yorkshireman. But yeah, cloth cap and whip it gave me that picture. So yeah, I'm trying to give you a mental picture. This is not gospel truth. That is not Nathaniel Bartholomew <laughs> with his whip it and his cloth cap and the power station in the background. That's definitely not the case. <laughs> Um, but how many people do you know that have a religious experience or have had they know about God they know about Jesus but life's okay it's alright and they're a bit hardened to it maybe been through the mill but we were still the church mill Maybe that's your experience, and maybe if you're watching the recording or, or on the web, yeah, maybe that's where you're at. Maybe that's who you are. Maybe that's part of what you've got that you're carrying. I ain't going to suffer fools gladly. I'll believe it when I see it. Right? Don't give me all this namby-pamby twaddle. I want reality. I want reality. I'm overemphasizing it for effect, but that's who Nathaniel Bartholomew Bartholomew was. I want re- I'm, I'm desperate for it. I know my scriptures. I know about the Messiah, but I want reality. And Philip knew that he wanted because he was his mate. He understood him. They'd had conversations, I guess. So when Philip had an encounter. This is the reality that Nat, Nathan, Mr. Bartholomew needs to have. But Philip probably knew it's going to take a bit of convincing. Because if I'm wrong, Philip, Philip said, if I'm wrong, he's going to give me some earache. Are you getting a mental picture? And is it resonating with people you know? Is it resonating with you? I'm okay to understand it. I'd love to have it myself. But until it's real, for me, it 
till it's actually genuine, I'm okay, thanks. I'm all right. So Philip said to him, so what did Philip say to him? Come and see. Very simple. He didn't say, come and I'll explain it to you. He didn't say, come and listen to this man's teaching and make your own mind up. He said, come and see. Come, take a look at this person, and you will see. Seeing would be believing for this man. Come and see. I'm not going to explain it to you, says Philip. I'm not going to give you the reasons why and wherefore. Yeah, okay, he's come from Nazareth, and uh, you know, that was a funny line, thank you. But come and see. When we were worshipping earlier, what was Caroline in, encouraging us to do? Or should we say the Lord through Caroline? Move, 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 move. Unless we move, unless we come, you're not going to see. Come and see. Bring your prejudices, bring your skepticism, bring your comfortable lifestyle, bring your reputation, bring your nickname as Mr. You know, rich guy with the land. Bring it all with you, but see. Come and see, and then you will know. Now, that's quite a challenge. Again, let's think of this Yorkshireman. <laughs> the young whippersnapper came along and said, I found it, everything you've been looking for is down the road. Come and have a look. Nah. I'll find out about it soon enough. I'm happy with what I've got. Nah, you're right. Tell me, you go back, Philip, and then tell me what, what he does. Quite a justifiable reaction. Nathaniel did not need to go. But he did. But he did. So from a place of comfort, we presume, from a place of inner hunger, he said, okay, I'll come and I'll see. This is not a transformation at this point in time. This is, all right, we'll give it a go. Let's have a look. I'll come. I'll see. So he's walking. We don't know how close this was. And Jesus saw Nathanael coming to him and said, Aha! An Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. And in that word of knowledge, in that prophetic word, described that man's character perfectly. Now, Jesus clearly didn't know him. He'd not met him before. Whether Nathaniel assumed Philip had told Jesus about him, he might have done. The skeptic probably would have done. So he said, how do you know me? All right, smarty pants. How do you know me? I'm paraphrasing. Forgive me, the dear departed Nathaniel. Um, But Jesus described him And endorsed him. So here's a man who is genuine, statement of fact, but also said, Here is a man who will see the genuine. Here is a man who will testify that this, i.e., I am real. Here is the man, the Israelite who is coming. From his place of security, from his knowledge of scriptures, from all that background baggage, somebody that everybody would look at and say, well, he's not going to be, you know, 
taken along for the ride. He's got his feet firmly planted on the ground. He, if he believes, oh, there's something genuine happening here. Can you see? That's what he's bringing to the table. And Jesus said, this is a genuine man. How do you know me? Then comes the transformation. Because Jesus just answered him. Jesus answered and said to him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. That's all he said. And at that moment, something happened in Nathaniel. And we know not the detail, but he turned 180 degrees around and Mr. Skeptic, Mr. I'll believe it when I see it, fell off him. When Jesus said, I saw you under that fig tree, Nathaniel went, pooh! And declared, you're the son of God. You're the king of Israel. What on earth happened? <laughs> what was under that fig tree? Or what? How? It clearly couldn't have been just down the road and Jesus and the party walked past and, oh, yes, there he is. That would never have changed, Nathaniel. You may know that the fig tree was often a place where people would go to meditate, to pray, to read the scriptures. We don't know. Maybe he was a, a rabbinic student. That would be where he would have gone and read his Tanakh. That's where he would have gone to pray. There was a saying in that era in the first century, that he who, when he prays, does not pray for the coming of the Messiah, has not prayed at all. It's not scripture, that was just a saying of the day. If you're going to pray, pray for the coming of the Messiah, otherwise, no point in praying. So he might have quite legitimately been under that tree praying for the Messiah. And then, but to be honest, I'm thinking maybe a bit more than that. Because I can't see how just praying for it and then meeting this stranger who called him Mr. Genuine would have had such a transformative effect. He might have been doing something bad under that tree, in secret. And Jesus said, I saw you. <laughs> the experience on the tree might have been 10 years ago. And Jesus said, I was there. But what I like to think is he was there on his own under the tree. Praying because he was waiting for the Messiah and got a little bit beyond himself and said something like, oh, I don't know what the point is. I don't know why I'm bothering praying. There's no reality in this. God, if you're there, you're going to have to prove it to me. God, if you're coming as the Messiah that I've just prayed, because I'm supposed to pray that, if that's real, you're going to have to stand right in front of my face so I can see the whites of your eyes. Because without that, I'm just going to carry on with my middle-class, comfortable life. I'm not going to follow after one of these so-called messiahs because there had been many. I'm not going to be swept along with the crowd. 
I want the real thing or nothing. I think that was Nathaniel's prayer. I want the real thing or nothing. We don't know. But something in me says it would have to have been that sort of, we call it putting out a fleece, don't we, from the story of Gideon. That bit of, prove it to me, God. That bit of, all right then, make it happen. If you are going to really interested in my life, you'll have me in a new house by the end of the month. That sort of fleece, that sort of declaration over your life. You know, I made a declaration on this stage two touch points ago about a new contract that we were bidding for in our business that was going to, some prophetic words about you know, new business coming in June and we were bidding for it. And I declared on this very stage that we're going to win that contract. And I can now exclusively reveal that we were informed this week that we're not in the running for that contract. So I have a choice, don't I? I have a choice of how I react, just like Jenny said earlier, when the flight was cancelled. I'm still choosing to believe. not burying my head in the sand, but I'm choosing to believe in faith until the ink's dry on the competitor's contract I will continue to believe. Then they might go bankrupt and I'll pick it up anyway. But anyway, that's, you know, I have no choice. I declared it publicly. I'll tell you publicly, win or lose. It's not, it's not saying it's a fleece. My faith does not depend on that contract. My, my safety and security is not based on chariots. It says Psalm 33, I think. It's not about that. It's not, and in the modern day, it's not based on great marketing campaigns and new customers. That's not where my faith is. My faith is in the Lord. Okay. But that's me under my fig tree. What are you saying under your fig tree? Again, from the January touch point, you'll recall perhaps I shared that the fig tree is symbolic of safety. The place of safety. So from your place of safety... What are you saying? What challenge are you giving God? I want it for real or I'm not bothering. I want nothing or the real thing. I'm not encouraging to make that challenge. But what I am saying, God will hear that and he'll give you the real thing. If you're genuine, be careful what you pray for. Because when the real thing hits you, you'll respond like this guy did. And say, okay, you've met me, you've called my bluff, I'm now looking in the whites of your eyes, and I will declare you are the king of my life, you are the king of Israel, you are the son of God. In that moment, uh, uh, Bible scholars would often say that the disciples didn't really know who Jesus was until Peter said, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. But actually this guy said it much earlier. He declared, maybe for his own hearing only, I know who you are. This now makes sense. Are you willing to put yourself in the same place of encounter that this guy, his life was safe, his life was comfortable. He decided under that fig tree to take a risk. He prayed for a risk, I presume. 
He said, okay, God, if it's real and you are coming into my life, I'll take the risk. Not really understanding the scale of the risk he was actually engaging with. Because when he met him, that was it. He was a disciple. He was an apostle. And we'll see how the story ends in just a moment. Jesus answered and said to him, Because I said to you that I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? So now Jesus is the comedian. Oh, so you believe, do you? Just because I said I saw you, wink. Because Jesus knows what that meant. He knew exactly what had been prayed. So there was that little moment, eye-to-eye contact. Oh, you believe now, do you? Just you wait. Just you wait. Truly, truly, which means you're definitely going to see this. Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see the heavens open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. The image does not have a staircase as this painting does here, right? It was more angels, vroom, down. Angel up, vroom, back up again. Vroom, vroom down. And vroom, up. Now, there is no there's no there's nothing written in scripture to say that was ever fulfilled you can assume it was the ascension of christ but it simply says he was taken up into the clouds there's no angels ascending or descending so do you know what i think and it says on the son of man so it had to be fulfilled while jesus was still walking the earth so do you know what i think you know what i think this skeptical yorkshireman had up, you know, to encounter for the next three years through Jesus' ministry, that every time Jesus did something, Nathaniel's eyes were open and vroom, 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 down came the angels and vroom, 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 off they went again. No one else could see it, but he could. Because it's got to be real or I'm not engaged. And you can just imagine Jesus saying, Come on, then, I'm going to. I'm going to feed the 5,000. Watch this. And all the angels are there. Baskets everywhere. And Nathaniel's going, wow. Can you see it? Oh, no, you can't see it. You know, amazing. And his eyes, I'm, I'm, I'm hypothesizing. But that would interpret that promise, wouldn't it? Truly I say to you, you will see the angels ascending and descending on the Son of Man. You. Why? Because you are a man who's genuine. Because you will see it. Because you have actually taken that step of risk from your place of comfort, I will reward you with a spiritual, supernatural encounter for these next three years that nobody else necessarily will see. He wasn't up there on the Mount of Transfiguration. This was him seeing it. Okay, that may just be my interpretation. Treat it as that. But it kind of makes sense when you see the guy, doesn't it? This real, genuine person. And suddenly, I said I didn't want all this namby-pamby, crazy spiritual stuff. And now I'm the one right in the middle of it all. Now I'm the one who's seeing it every day. Now the reality is real. Wow. Are you ready for that? encounter are you ready to see an open heaven because it's not just for those who would consider themselves spiritual 
It's for the real blokes. And the real blokesses. Right? It's for those who are willing to say, I want the real thing or nothing. From your place of safety. Don't pray it unless you're ready. Now, outside of Scripture, we know a little bit more about this guy. Let's not be too dismissive outside of Scripture. Oral tradition was a very strong and powerful thing. More, more, do you, if I was to ask you, what was the, what was the uh, wool tariff, the tax on wool in the UK in 1125, you could tell me. Bar, bar, black sheep. Have you any wool? Yes, sir, yes, sir. Three bags full. One for the state, the master. One for the church, the lady church. And one for me. 66% tax on wool. Now, you know that. You know you knew that. I had to look it up. Why? Through oral tradition. If I was to ask you who was accused of stealing the title deeds of one of the abbeys from Henry VIII because he snuck it out of a pie that was being smuggled to Henry VIII, you would tell me his name was perhaps little Jack Horner. Thomas Horner, actually. And the Horner family live in that land to this day, so I'm told. Oral tradition is very good when you don't have the written word, which they didn't particularly in this era. So whilst it's just tradition, there's some depth to it. Now, there's no mention of this guy before in any of the, this ancient literature before uh, Eusebius. Now, he didn't play for Brazil. Uh, Eusebius, in around about 400 AD, I think it is, might be 350, 400, it was often described as the father of church history. He wrote a lot of these traditions down. But it was a good few hundred years, but he was just writing the stories which everybody knew, that everybody would relate to him. So he wrote it down, and he wrote down that Pantanius, no idea who that is, was evangelizing in India, and Pantanius had been told that Saint Nathaniel Bartholomew had preached there before him and had given them a copy of Matthew's Gospel in Hebrew. So, church tradition would say, based on this sort of oral tradition as documented a few hundred years later than it actually happened, that he went off to India. And then went to Armenia. Now, those of you who've been to Jerusalem, you know about the Armenian quarter. The Armenians treat Bartholomew and Jude slash Thaddeus in the same way the Catholics treat, treat Peter as the founders of that faith. It's not in the Gospels or in Acts, it's not in the Bible. So we've got India and Armenia is where his ministry took him. If I asked you where did Paul's ministry take, you could tell me. To an extent, Peter and John. But we don't know a lot about him or indeed many of the others. But he clearly did something because Jesus said, off you go, you know, Judea, Judea, Samaria and the rest of the world. And uh, he said, I'm off east. I'm going to India. And off he went. And so there's lots of St. Bartholomew churches, I guess, in Bombay. Mumbai. 
Where does the story end? There are conflicting traditions regarding his martyrdom. All the apostles are martyred, apart from John. One in India, one in Armenia. This, as you'll clearly recognize, is from the Sistine Chapel of Michelangelo, the Last Judgment. You get culture for free uh, when you're with me. And can you pick out Bartholomew in the crowd there? That's him there. Shall we zoom in? That's just Michelangelo painting it a thousand years later, more than a thousand years later. But he is always depicted with a knife and holding what looks like some fabric. Here he is as a statue outside of Milan. It looks a little bit macabre. I'm not going to tell you anything about the tradition of how he was martyred because it's too early on a Sunday and there's children present. Do your own research, but you'll always see him with a knife carrying some fabric. So let's not have that picture. We'll have this picture. We like this one. Actually, we need to amend this a little bit because we know a bit more about him. Uh, he definitely needs a, a cloth cap yeah, uh, and a whippet. So we'll, uh, we'll give him those because we now know that he was the Yorkshireman of the disciples. He was the down-to-earth chap who saw the angels. There's something incongruent, isn't there, about your traditional image of your salt of the earth with someone who says, didn't you see the angels? I saw them as loads. Wow. Are you ready for that encounter? Let's pray. Father, I thank you for reality, for genuineness. Father, I thank you that this is not something that has been concocted. And we do get caught up with enthusiasm and the experience and the excitement of all that you're doing. And sometimes, maybe, we can forget those whose feet are still on the ground. But Lord, I say to every one of us here present and those that are watching the recording, today is your day to declare, I want the real thing, or I'm having nothing. And I know, Lord, that you will hear that prayer. And that you will bring an encounter, the likes of which we have never seen. So that in one word, in one sentence, it will all fall off. It will say, you are my God. You are my King. I know that's what you will do because that is your heart to us. And Lord, I invite you to move us from a place of static safety under our fig trees to that place of boldness, to take the gospel to the ends of the earth, to think nothing of our life, and to do that in the full knowledge that your angelic hosts are fighting for us and are delivering your message as we speak. Lord, give us that visibility of reality in our lives. Amen. 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 Happy to pray with anybody that's, that's stirred something in. Happy to just take off your shoulders, the cloth cap and the whip it. Take it off and release the visitation that God has for you. Amen. Amen. So we'll see you next week. Might see you next week. No, let's just pray that the flights will not be cancelled again. And for a safe journey... 
for the rest of your, uh, your time away. Uh, and for Maria, who's uh, holding the fort over there already and doing a great job, I'm sure. Amen. Amen. Amen.